come back up whenever you've uh, gotten rid of them. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. For the past six weeks plus, I've been doing a series on balance. Uh, This is the final sermon technically in this series on balance, but I'm going to come back to it sometime in the future. I feel like what I've done over these six weeks is really provide a foundation for some things I'd like to look at in the days ahead about balance. And uh, to do that, though, those sermons are going to be a little more theologically oriented So when I do it, I want to be totally prepared to talk about the balance between some of the things we have to wrestle with uh, in the Christian walk, in the Christian faith, from a theological standpoint. Now, the problem with theology is it can become very dry and very boring, and uh, but what you believe about God and who he is and how he acts affects how you live your life. Now, you may not really embrace it or know it, but Deep down inside of you, you have these beliefs about who God is and the way he works on this earth and the future. And those beliefs about who he is affects how you get up in the morning, pray, don't pray, share your faith with people, don't share your faith with people, how you live your life. And so I want to look at those, but I'm going to come back to that in the future. But today, I want to talk about a very interesting passage and kind of finish up this series on balance by talking about how balance is a matter of life and death. And uh, let me just say going in that this may be a a sermon you've either never heard before or never thought about before or can't even believe you're hearing in church. Um, So I just want to kind of lay that out there for some of us uh, as we're kind of walking in because Ecclesiastes is one of those very interesting books in the Bible that at times you start reading through it and you wonder, why in the world is this here? What am I supposed to receive from this? So let's look at this aspect of balance together, kind of having said that. Balance, as we've said, is to keep or put something in a steady position so that it does not fall. Balance is not a bad word. It just means fully embracing everything that God has Not just holding on to one end or the other, but to hold on to both, because in doing so, it puts us in a steady position. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about living a lower standard of life. I'm talking about fully embracing all that God has for us, because if we only embrace one end or the other, we might be in a position where we're really out of balance and more tempted to fall over. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, we'll say Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. That's generally the tradition, although it's a little bit unknown. Um, Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, and it follows Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes is almost anti-Proverbs. It's almost like uh, an understanding that wisdom alone will not get you there. That there has to be more than just seeking after wisdom, because if you seek only after wisdom, you'll actually become wise in your own eyes, and you'll become dependent upon yourself. And as Solomon says, that will eventually lead toward meaninglessness. Uh, That really what we should be doing is embracing all that, that God has. How do we 
develop balance in our lives. We looked at last week from Ecclesiastes. But in this, I, I want to talk about how balance is, a, is about life and death and viewing fully our lives and our imminent death. So in, uh, you may be coming this morning thinking, oh, we're gonna, it's going to be a... We're going to talk about death. So uh, it's inevitable. You know, death and taxes are inevitable. Really, death is the one thing that's inevitable in life. And that's really where Solomon leads us. But he's going to talk about how we view death and how it should change our lives. All right, so here's the first point. We're going to just jump right in, and I'm going to go through the passage as uh, I do the outline, which is only, amazingly, two points today. Um, but you know me, I'll have like five subpoints. so just hang on. Here's the first point. Live like you are dying. Live like you are dying. Here's the passage from Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 and following. So, I reflected on all this. Again, you know, when you jump into a book and you're at chapter 9, he's got some things in verses one through, uh, chapters 1 through 8 that lead up to this. Chapter 9, though, he says, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Somebody say hallelujah. What a joy to read this passage together. (laughs) Kind of uplifts your soul, doesn't it, a little bit? But I, I, I want us to look at it to say there is meaning here. There's a reason. We believe every word from God has power, that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, including this one. And I think the point that Solomon is trying to make is live with a view or perspective with death in mind. There is one universal truth that runs throughout Ecclesiastes concerning life, and it's this, all life ends in death. There are no exceptions. It doesn't matter if a man is righteous or wicked, clean or unclean, religious or profane, saint or sinner, soft-spoken or swears like a sailor. Death is inevitable. The end is the same. Death is the great equalizer. Sooner or later, everyone dies. But somehow that doesn't seem quite fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair that Hitler and Mother Teresa both kind of Death overtook them. Now, his death may have been more 
bad, in a sense, than hers in the way he went out, but that's not always the case. Sometimes incredible suffering engages those who are entering death, even if they're saints in the Lord. No matter what, though, death is the end of life on this earth. Now, we know that there's a perspective, I talked about it last week, where there's eternity in mind, that we have We have an eternal perspective for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that death is not the end forever. But at the same time, God has given us a season on life uh, on this earth to do what he's appointed us and created us and redeemed us to do. And there are no guarantees for how long this season is going to last. One certainty is that God works on the behalf of those who love him. God is at work in our lives. But at the same time, we have to come to grips that we can't coerce blessings from God. We can't coerce longer life from God. God is sovereign. And no, none of us know the days that we have on this earth. Bob Hope Uh, comedian, after receiving a major award, responded this, I don't deserve this, but then again, I have arthritis and I didn't deserve that either. Now, his theology may not be all that great, but the idea that we deserve something at times gets in us, doesn't it? That, uh, you know, I, I deserve better than this. Well, let me just say to you, no, you really don't. You don't deserve better than this. As a matter of fact, the good news of the gospel is that none of us got what we deserved. That Jesus took the penalty and payment of our sins on himself, on the cross. And as a result, we get much better than we ever would deserve. So whatever we're undergoing is still better than what we actually, actually deserve. Solomon, Solomon, remember, he's writing hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. So his perspective of the gospel and the good news is not fully complete. And really the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon talking about life under the sun. In other words, life during this period, not life in the sun, as in, in the Son, Jesus Christ, but life under the Son. What do we do with this life that we have now? He puts it in graphic language where earlier in chapter 9 he says this, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, that may not mean much to us because during Solomon's time, dogs were not pampered pets. Uh, Jared had a friend's dog that he was watching over this past, this weekend, and he brought this, what kind of dog is it? Shiba Inu. I didn't even know. I thought he was speaking in tongues when he said Shiba Inu. I said, bless you, son. Uh, uh, But anyway, it's this little, cute little dog, and I mean, it's just a pampered pet. It was very, very cute. But during Solomon's day, Dogs were feared. They ran wild. They were mongrels. The people didn't even have an idea about bringing in their homes. Uh, I could preach that, but we'll, we'll just move on. 
a dog was not something to be looked on with favor. It was something reviled, really. But Solomon says, a live mongrel that roams the streets is better than a dead lion. You know, he's saying that even the king of the beasts really has no power once it's dead. Because once it's dead, it's, it's dead. He's saying to us, look, while you're alive, live with a perspective of death in mind in the sense of how are you living this life? Are you living it to the fullest or are you not? And he pulls no punches in this death-dealing expose that he gives us in Ecclesiastes. He says that the fact that our days are numbered ought to motivate us to live earnestly for God now. In light of the brevity of life, we should live with seriousness, recognizing the importance of a life well invested. The fact that we will die should affect the way we live. Now, for some of you who are country aficionados, you've already recognized that this is a title of a country song from 2004 by Tim McGraw. And in this song, it's called Live Like You Were Dying, um, there's this one man talking to another man. And one man had found out earlier in his life that he had had a health scare. He'd had some x-rays, and he thought he was going to die. And the other man says to him, well, how did, what, what did you do? And so then, the, hence the whole country song, uh, kind of goes from there, I lived like I was dying. Now, some of you did not know you were going to hear Tim McGraw when you came to church today, and, but I want to play for you the middle of that song. What, how he said it affected, um, affected his life. He said I was finally the husband. Most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year I lost my dad. Finally read the good book and I took a good long hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a full-length Said someday I hope you get the chance to live like you would die. Like tomorrow was a gift and you got eternity. Think about what you do with it. What did you do with it? What did I do with it? What would I do with it? Sing along if you want, I don't know. 
obviously there's some holes theologically in this song, and I'm not saying build your whole existence around it, but there is a truth here to understand that death awaits us all and that we should begin to live with the perspective of death and eternity in our minds. Many of you young people here, you don't even contemplate death because you assume that death really doesn't await you, at least not soon. And I'd like to say to you, you have no guarantees. I have no guarantees. This week, I'm going Rocky Mountain climbing. I'm actually going to the Rocky, so. Um, but you don't know when, when death awaits you. Live every day with the perspective, not a morbid sense of, I'm dying, to, but a perspective that our days here are limited. How can I make the most of the moments that God has given me? Second point, which kind of balances this, counterbalances, is this. Live while you live. Live while you live. Act alive while you're alive. In other words, if you get so death-minded and you, you act like you're dead, right? Hello? I mean, really, if you, if you get out of balance, you're going to start acting like you're already dead. Solomon says really the opposite. Live with the perspective of death in mind, but live. Live life as God has given you to live it. Look what he says in verses 7 through 10. Go, eat your food with gladness, hallelujah, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. In this section, Solomon urges us to make the most of our lives. Look in verses 7 through 10, that the commands that he gives, the imperatives. He says, go, eat, drink, enjoy, and do. These words give the central idea. Life is short. Death is certain. So live in the most meaningful way you can. Now, here's the part that I think for some of us, we can't hardly believe. I know that's terrible English, but we can hardly believe that it's in the Bible. Enjoy life? Isn't, isn't the Bible supposed to be a book that robs all joy out of life? That when I become a Christian, anything that was fun prior to becoming a Christian, now I can't do? And I don't even know what the Bible says, but I should just live fun Bible, fun, anti-fun, because isn't that what the Bible must be about? Isn't the Christian life supposed to be an ascetic lifestyle where we give up everything of joy? And Look, if God calls you to live a life where you deny yourself, then live that life. But at the same time, God says, enjoy life. Enjoy the things I've given you to enjoy. God enjoys 
our enjoyment of life and of him. Uh, One of the things Solomon is saying is, look, eat, drink, dress, celebrate, have fun. We need to balance gratefulness with generosity. We need to balance retaining some things and giving away others. We need to balance enjoying our family, our wife, and our children. We need to do work while we can do work. Whatever you do with your hand, so as it concerns your work, do it with all your might. Work is a privilege. Do something worthwhile. Make a contribution to life. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher of the 1800s, was known to work long, long hours. And David Livingston, the great explorer and missionary, once asked him, how do you manage to do two men's work in a single day? Spurgeon replied, you have forgotten that there are two of us. Meaning the person and work of the Holy Spirit at work in his life, helping him to accomplish what we accomplish. Tragically, many Christians live, live as if, It is a sin to enjoy life. Yet God created man and woman to live in a place called Eden, which means delight. The Bible teaches that one day we'll live on a new earth, new heaven, new earth, as Adrian talked about earlier, and it's going to be like Eden once again. So the idea of Ecclesiastes is that we're to live Life to the fullest in preparation for what God has for us. Adrian was giving us some Hebrew words about worship. They knew joy. The Hebrews did much more than us. They have ten different words that mean joy. The balance, of course, is this. How do I enjoy life and live with the enjoyment of life? without those things becoming a master of me, right? All of this is a balance. Paul says, everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. I will not be mastered by anything. So, eat food, enjoy food, but don't let food be your master. Don't mean to be controversial here, but Solomon says, enjoy wine. But if you, if it's going to be a master of you, then give it up entirely. Enjoy work, but don't let work be your master. Enjoy dressing to celebrate, but don't let clothes master you. We need to, we need to love life. Enjoy life. Do you think it'd be much more appealing to people who are looking for meaning, and purpose in life if they saw a church that celebrated God, celebrated Christ, and enjoyed the life he gave them on this earth? Versus what many people see when they see church, they see, wow, those people look miserable. They are the most unhappy people I've ever seen. Why would I want to join up with that? To swing the pendulum back again, which Solomon does like from verse to verse, in verse 11, he says this, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. 
Look at the words he used. Swift, strong, wise, brilliant, learned. He then informs us that these talented individuals do not always win and find success. Why? Because two factors are at work. Time. Time limits us. Again, we don't know how long we have. And chance. We don't know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, the next day. Now, we are confident, right, in the sovereignty and providence of God, that God is in control. But we don't know how long he's given us on this earth, nor do we know our, what the future may hold. We've talked about this before just a little bit, but let me remind you. Most of the world looks, works like this. Let's predict what's going to happen in the days ahead, and then let's plan to get to our prediction. Have many of you been to training seminars before? Predict and plan. What is the problem with that method? Hello? You can talk to me if you want. What's the problem with that method? You don't know. Your prediction could be wrong. Time and time again, we've seen in history where things did not go as we expected. One 9-11 cataclysmic event can totally change everybody's prediction and therefore their plan. There may be things in the economic world that you have no idea that are taking. I didn't know about a housing bubble. I didn't know about mortgage things going on until the bubble burst and my retirement dropped by like 50%. Some of us, you know, you, you predict and then you plan to meet that prediction, but the problem is you can't really predict what tomorrow has. So what does that mean? We just live hopeless existence? No, what, what the Bible really teaches us is this. Prepare, prepare by being with God, being filled with the Spirit, knowing His Word. Prepare so that when God moves, so that when things happen, we can participate with Him. Prepare, participate. Because time and chance, and really the sovereignty of God is what he's talking about here. The sovereignty of God is at work, and you don't know what's going to take place. But live while you're alive. Seize the moment. Take the day, not in an ungodly way, but by the power of the Spirit who indwells you and infills you. Then he closes this passage by saying this. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, our birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Anybody see Finding Nemo? Nemo swimming along. Boom, that net gets him. Next thing he's off to, what was that address? Sydney? Yeah, somebody knows it exactly because they say it. Dory has to say it over and over and over again. That's the only thing she remembers. Solomon gave this exact illustration. We're like fish in the sea. We don't know in the net. Now, again, if you look at this in light of things, you may say, wow, that, that is so depressing. What kind of sermon are you preaching? I'm preaching this. Live today with an awareness of God's presence at work in your life. Don't waste your time. Paul says, 
Make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. Live with the perspective of death in mind, but live to the fullest today. John Ortberg has a book that's entitled, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back back in the Box. And the book's message is that life is like a game, like a game of Monopoly or some game that you play. You strategize, you take risks, you wheel and deal to improve your position. But when the game is over, everything that you've accumulated basically goes back in the box. Only eternal investments are things that will be taken with us. To get the most out of life, we've got to arrange our priorities around what matters most. A life that focuses on temporary prizes will result in temporary fruit. Stop and ask yourself this morning, what, what really matters? How do I want to be remembered? What do I want others to say about me? And then to make a commitment in the Lord to live like you are dying, knowing that your life on this earth is temporary and God has a destiny for you now to be lived out in him and to live life to the fullest. Examine your life and say, what do I need to do to make the most of every opportunity, to redeem the time, not to waste the days? What is it that God has called me and purposed for me for me to do? Lord, we thank you today that a balance is about life and death and eternity and that you haven't placed us here to live a hopeless, and even as Solomon says, meaningless life, but that there is meaning to what you've got for us and that your plans and purposes for us will carry us over even into eternity. And God, I thank you for that. I pray this morning that we will not get caught up in the the gods of this age that cause us to, at times, waste our life. Lord, we both want to enjoy you and the things you've made and at the same time testify to your greatness in this earth to live life. Lord, I thank you for this people in this place. And Lord, I want to pray right now for those who are here today and are struggling with meaning in life. Lord, I pray, first of all, that they will come to know Jesus Christ as the one who leads their lives and forgives their sins. I pray that for those who are thinking, ah, maybe I'll do that tomorrow, maybe I'll really look at Jesus later, that this sermon would make them realize that they have no guarantees for tomorrow that they'll take the moment that you've given them now, that, Spirit of God, you would draw them to the name of Christ, to the name of Jesus, no matter what their age, whether young or older here today, who is Jesus to you? Lord, for those who are struggling with life right now, either through sickness or they have a weight upon them or... They just 
have lost the purpose of life. I, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would touch them with your truth and your presence this morning. Spirit of God, in the moments ahead, I pray that lives will be touched for today, for tomorrow, for all eternity as we minister life to one another, as we pray for one another. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your work in this place. In Jesus' name. Stand up with me if you would. I'm going to ask our ministry teams to move quickly to the front. If you're here this morning and would like to know more about faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you're here today and you need someone to pray for you for health or for direction or for the lifting of a burden or maybe something I've said this morning about living life has really touched your heart and you would like somebody to pray for you. Adrian's going to lead us in a time of worship and come and receive prayer. You may be a guest here and just feel like you need prayer. That, that's great. We invite you to come and to receive prayer right now. So if you have any need, anything that God is stirring in your heart and would like to receive prayer, come right now as Adrian leads us in a time of worship. This is my desire.